0: Hello and welcome to the Forbes India cover story podcast series in association with the IndyCast.com. My name is Abhishek and this cover story is special as in it's the Independence Day issue and this time we have released two podcasts, one with uh, Mr. Sandeep Vaslegar, who is a terror expert and in the second of the two-part podcast series, I have with me Senior Editor Dinesh Narayanan. Hi Dinesh, how are you doing?
1: Hello Abhishek, very well. Always a pleasure to be on this show.
0: Thank you and we had recorded one exactly a year back on the 15th August special
1: yes we did
0: and there is always a theme when it comes to you know such big issues in 2010 Forbes India had focused on the major challenges that India faced going in that year and last year we had cracks that had opened up in the security field and what that meant to India what is the theme this time Dinesh what what is the theme that runs through all the stories that you have This time,
1: yeah. The Independence Day, we were looking at uh, bringing out themed issue, which would consider the promise which was made on August 15th in 1947, and the idea of India. And we were looking at where we can find this this idea of India being carried forward as it was conceived at the dawn of independence. What we were trying to look at is the people, mainly in public service, who were doing work which was aligned with the spirit of independence, which we achieved then. That is what we were looking for.
0: Right. And uh, you have a battery of essays uh, on on these people. Yes,
1: yes. What we have is that we have a bunch of profiles, Mm -hmm. nine profiles of bureaucrats and one profile of the Chief Justice of India, Mr. Sarosh Homi Kapadia, who will be retiring in September. Right. Why don't we start with him? Yeah, The reason we picked Chief Justice Kapadia is because of one quality which was unquestionable in him and which is lacking in many people many institutions many walks of life in this country today which is integrity and this was a man who across the number of people i spoke to there is not even a single person who had even the slightest doubts about this man's integrity so the first thing anybody made a comment about jesus kapadia was this is one man with outstanding integrity And when he became chief justice, the Supreme Court was under a little bit of a cloud because there were controversies regarding the former chief justice who had then retired, Mr. K.G. Balakrishnan. So Kapadia had come in at a time when the Supreme Court's image had taken a slight beating, if I should say so. He has been a terrific administrator. Now, this is something which is not really known to the outside world. It is known to lawyers. It is known to the people within the Supreme Court, people within that uh, setup. And one of the main things which he does is humongous amount of preparation before he does whatever he has to do. What I have heard from other, from lawyers, from his friends, everyone is that by the time he reaches the court any particular day, he has practically gone through every brief which uh, of every case which would be coming to him that day. And the first day in court as Chief Justice, he had disposed of some 39 cases in half an hour or so. He probably uh, understand that there is not even a minute to waste as far as uh, disposing justice is concerned.
0: True, because in India, uh, when we see the movies, the dialogue, quote Kacheri Ka is, is such a cliche where it represents delay. When you mentioned that he cleared 39 matters on the first day, it says a, a lot about the man. What is his overall approach and attitude towards resolving cases? Because in India, cases remain unresolved. That's that's quite a given. Two things which he has uh, repeated over and over and again is that
1: judges, unlike in the past, when they could be, Experts in, let's say, one or two fields, he says that judges should be scholastic in their living, which means that they should be learning every minute and learning about everything possible. For example, so for example, many judges in the past were not really say, very familiar with accountancy something like that becomes very useful in modern times when you're deciding cases which involve businesses how does a judge make out what this person is arguing is right or not which he himself uh, elucidated with an example in one of his speeches how he kind of figured out how much profit does a company make because it was a case involving a mining company which was going into a tribal area And he had to determine what should be done. I mean, whether he could set aside a part of the company's profits for the tribal welfare. It is not possible if the company is not making enough profits. But normally, a judge is not expected to know accounting or modern principles of business or management or economics. So there are various things a judge should know and he should know as much as possible. This is the line he takes. The second thing is that judges should be almost ascetic in their living he does not approve of judges mixing with other lawyers or judges going to say to a party so these kind of things he seriously disapproves of he himself doesn't do it he himself doesn't even miss one single day in court if it is a working day he will not accept any other invitation even if it is an invitation from the commonwealth law association because it fell on a working
0: day That is the way of life for a judge and he practices that. Absolutely. And since we are on the subject, if we move on from justice to bureaucrats, for instance, where uh, initially you mentioned about a few people who have made a mark. Now, when we talk about bureaucrats, Dinesh, and if you are talking about, let's say, an IAS officer, if you ask a college student or anyone for that matter, if it's a word association test, if you say IAS, then I think you won't be surprised if... Corruption is the word that comes about from the next person about, or you know, you're quizzing. In hmm. fact, hmm. you know, I just typed in "corrupt IAS officers" in uh, double quotes on Google, and it threw one lakh eighty-one thousand search results, which is which is quite hmm. quite a lot. But then uh, this particular issue is telling us that there are some enterprising officers as well. And let, let's start with one, Mr. Rajiv Chawla, he's an IS officer who successfully digitized land records in Karnataka is what I read. So how important is that contribution? Because we don't exactly read about all the stuff that all these IS officers do in small pockets in different districts. So digitizing land records in Karnataka, a simple project like this, what was the contribution that he made and how did it help the state?
1: Before I start on Chavla specifically, let me just take the point which you mentioned about corruption and just to point out that you know last week one of the ministers in uttar pradesh is supposed to have said that it was reported that you know i don't mind if people take a little bit of money and uh, uh, but do good work we have come to such a situation that corruption is an accepted fact of life so that is one reason why we chose these nine bureaucrats we were looking at people and uh, what they did which was actually very much part of their job but usually don't get done especially because uh, bureaucrats work in a in a very rigid system which follow very rigid rules and uh, territories ego issues there is political territory there is executive territory there are a lot of issues involved that work is certainly not easy and within this setup there are people who come up with very creative solutions which contribute to governance so in rajiv chawla's case you know very well as well as many people who have watched india know very well that land records in this country are a complete mess half the civil cases or probably more than half probably three-fourths of the civil cases which are pending in these courts especially for long periods of time related to land now starting point for that is to have very clear land records that itself is a huge problem in uh, registries across the country where these land records are kept Now, to take those land records which are in the millions and digitize them and make them searchable and make them available at the click of a button is not a small job and to do it for an entire state is still to do it in the urban areas fully just started to do that is no mean achievement.
0: Right. In fact, an example Hmm. like this, like digitizing land records, once Hmm. the ball is set rolling, it can go on for every successor that comes on board. It's an example of how the system here ensures that good work started by one IAS officer, if not made more creative, at least it won't be botched up by the next one. Because digitizing land records, for example, is, is a process that has been introduced.
1: Yeah, that is true, but still, you know, it, it's not as if it cannot go wrong later. It can fall into a funk. There is another project which we have showcased, which is called Lokvani, done by one person called Amod Kumar in Sitapur in Uttar Pradesh some years ago. Now, that project, from whatever I hear, after he has left, it has not had the same kind of momentum. It oh. was introduced in many other districts, if I'm not mistaken, all the districts in Uttar Pradesh. It was basically a simple management information system which informed the collector and kept the track of what are the problems and grievances which are coming from the people to the administration keeping a track of it monitoring it and getting things done it was as simple as that nothing more than that but a collector in a district has about a thousand problems coming to him every day it is not possible to keep track of it it was a simple technology just a management information system which Solve the problem. After he left, it is not, from whatever I hear, it's not uh, functioned as well. So it's also a question of ownership. It's not only really a question of creating a system and a process, but it has to be owned and carried forward. Without that, it, it's, it's of no use.
0: But it comes at a big price, doesn't it? You mentioned about Alex Paul Menon. He's from Chadizkar, right? Sukma district. So a person who is, is in charge of a district in an Axolite infested area comes up with creative solutions like uh, sports activities, painting exhibitions to you know, get the camaraderie high mm. with the villagers. He gets kidnapped. Mm. He gets kidnapped by the Naxalites and then he's left later. So it comes at a big price, doesn't it? So at the end, it's not just like you said about process, but about ownership or depending on whose morals are what.
1: It's not just morals. It's it's, it's about professionalism, right? I mean, as an IAS officer, I have a job to do and I have to do it. Now, the reason why we include Alex Menon is not simply because he had uh, done... Something creative. That is not the case. Not something which was completely extraordinary or something like that. It's not, it's not completely out of the box thing. It was out of the box thing. It is something which can occur to many people and it has been tried and tested before as well that these methods used properly can have results. But to do it in a district like that, Sukma, it was a district, he was the first collector of the district. It was a Naxal infested area. Problem with Naxal infested areas is that the government cannot reach anywhere. Reaching itself is a problem. Now, where did he run into trouble with them? He had threats and all that, but ultimately, uh, the reason was that the people started slowly moving towards the administration and finding it more appreciative and responsive. He practically managed to wean them off the Naxalites whom they were depending upon for many things. That is what his success was. That is precisely the reason why we featured him in that. It's not because he was abducted by Naxalites, but the... Kind of courage he showed to stay in the district and do what was needed for the districts. Actually, he did his job very well, absolutely professional manner.
0: And another one is that of IFS officer Mr. U V Singh. Uh, when I read that he would disguise himself in the nights to you know investigate the Karnataka mining scam. Again, another example of uh, somebody being a professional, but probably the risk comes with a job then, Dinesh, doesn't it? Actually, yeah. In his case,
1: it's slightly more. Because what he did there as a forest officer, it was almost a covert, a single man covert operation to unearth what was going on.
0: And he succeeded in a big way. The chief minister resigned and and many people were jailed, many politicians. Yes. He was single-handedly responsible for uh, stopping
1: this reckless mining in the entire bank and from whatever I've heard from Prince, he was not able to find any evidence in his initial investigations and he tried very hard to find something to nail people there. He could not. That is when finally he did this. that this is the only way to find an evidence for what was happening in Karnataka. So to that extent, it was beyond his call of duty. He need not have done it. But the point is that he considered to prove this as his duty and he did it.
0: Absolutely. And it's great to read stories, not just about those officers who have unearthed corruption, but also those who are doing good in the field of education. Uh, can you quickly summarize about, you know, certain characters that you've mentioned? There is one e-governance that was started. There was another big activity in Kerala where about 3.25 million families w- were computer literate and all of this came about only because of certain decisions from the bureaucrats. Uh, yes, it was
1: this lady Aruna Sundar Rajan who did this this project in Kerala and that is one of the projects which is still running very well in that state. I mean, I belong to that state and people are aware of their rights and uh, they do ask for the rights unlike in many other states. So whatever she did, it was a fabulous program to start with and uh, it was designed well. And people took to it. And once people took to it and they started liking it, it just took off. One other thing which I should mention in these things is that, see, many of these bureaucrats, they have got good backing. So either they've got political backing from the government or a senior officer's backing or an authority's backing, which really mattered so many of these cases that also has helped these guys were not like lone rangers or something like that but we have put these people in the front because they were the faces of these programs and also they were instrumental in uh, designing them or finding those
0: creative solutions it should be seen as a collective effort as well fair enough but one final question is how did you choose these stories how did you go about hunting for these people because There is a big challenge to make the Independence Day issue different, right? It probably gets harder every year. So, How did you go about compiling this? What was the plan behind putting this out?
1: We had given it out to all our reporters and asked them to come up with people in their respective beats they cover or the respective states they are in. For example, the Bangalore Bureau in Delhi, my colleagues from Bombay as well. So basically, it was collective thinking. And obviously, since we are all on the field and we also know a lot of people, One of the criteria I had in mind was that it should be spread out across the country. So it should not be focused in Delhi, for instance. There are a lot of bureaucrats in Delhi who are doing good work. There's no doubts about it in the central government. So that is why we wanted someone from the northeast. So that is why there's a person from northeast uh, Meghalaya. We didn't want to pick them up just because they were from that region. It didn't matter. But these two criteria had to be fulfilled. One, they should have done this kind of work which we are looking for, which is game-changing work which is related to governance and which has the potential to be scaled up. Some of these projects pick themselves just like that. A person like U.V. Singh picks himself. There is no need to you know, even shortlist him in the kind of work he has done there. And, and you can see the impact. It's felt impact. It's not even that you have to measure it now. It's felt impact of what he has done. All said and done, this particular Independence Day special issue is one of hope and one of hope from the kind of hope which was there in 1947. So that is why I would say that this issue happened. In these kind of
0: times when everything looks great, we wanted to show some hope. Absolutely. And all all listeners and readers of Hopes India can get this on the 14th of August. So this issue hits the stand slightly earlier than usual. So go pick your copies. Thank you very much, Dinesh, for your time. It was fabulous. Great talking to you again. Thank you very much, Abhishek. Listeners can get this podcast on... Forbesindia.com as well as the and subscribe us on iTunes.